Last week, we ended the service where I made everybody turn around and talk to each other. <laughs> you should have seen your faces. It was awesome. Now, everybody was a little freaked out. There was tension in the room. But as soon as you entered into the dialogue, something else happened. There was something really good that took place. I'm hearing story after story. One of the stories I heard was somebody came up to me at the end of the service and said, it was so crazy. I just felt like God was connecting me to this person and I, I shared what was going on in me and then we prayed about it and, I, and, and she looked at me after I prayed and said, that is exactly what's going on in my life. And they connected in a way like they never would have if they hadn't just turned around and sat down and talked for a few minutes. Listen, people, we got to get away from the way we think about living life individually and open up to moments and opportunities when God is bringing other people into our lives. And we not only need to be on the lookout for that, but we need to intentionally pursue that. And I think this is kind of what this disciple series has been all about. Now, we started, we started uh, several weeks ago talking about love and obedience. So let's put that slide up there, Tulu. Love and obedience, it, it's the heart of the matter of discipleship. If you love God, but you don't obey him, is, do you really love him? I'm not sure. If you obey him, but you don't really have a loving relationship, it's just dead religion. So there's this tension. And here's what, I, as I've been thinking about this a lot over the last several weeks, what I've realized is love and obedience has a lot of tension to it. But what happens is when love and obedience become enmeshed in the same activities, the motivation is love. And the obedience, this action, when actions and motives come together, there's a powerful, a powerful thing that, that I think is called yieldedness, surrender. Anyway, this is the heart of the matter of disciple, uh, being a disciple of Jesus. And then we talked about how being a disciple is all relational. It's not just relational with you and God, it's relational with you and other people. Like God designed us not to be spiritual monks on our own with nobody else in, inputting into our lives. Um, we are to be the kind of people who are in relationship with others and how you love God is by loving people. How you help people uh, see God is by being his hands and feet to others. And so it's a powerful thing to be relational in this world that we're living in is one of the hardest things to do in our culture. To, be, to actually have meaningful relationships. It's really quite difficult. Um, but so, so we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But then the next quadrant we looked at is how being a disciple is intentional. You don't accidentally become a disciple. You know, relation, <laughs> most people think that it's information that makes you a disciple. No. It's relationships and then intentional actions. Everybody say actions. Intentional actions that we help each other, that we challenge one another, that we, that we pull each other into, that we walk together doing intentional practices that change what's going on inside of us 
And, and so it's, a, it's an inside-out process. God starts working way down on the inside, and then he starts working his way out. And that process kind of never ends. He keeps working his way out into life and, and into the, the situations and circumstances you're in. And then we talked about being how disciple-making and, and actually being a disciple, following Jesus, is cyclical. It's cyclical and seasonal. It's not just a linear line. Oh, you do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this. And, and we talked about it as a, a, a kind of thing where if, you, if you've ever been in your life where you, where you thought to yourself, oh my goodness, I am back where I started. I thought I already dealt with this thing. I already thought I had this thing settled. And you're back at it. The lie of the enemy is, no, you'll never escape. It'll always be this way. You'll never get away. This is how it is. That is a lie. Everybody say lie. Whoa, good job. That's how, you gotta be forceful like that with the enemy because he's trying to push this lie on you in every single season that your life is in. If it's a really bad, difficult season, he's like, you're never getting out, might as well give up on Jesus. If it's a really good season, it's like, hey, you got it made. Do you really need Jesus? The lie is always there. So you got to really understand the cyclical nature of how God works. He doesn't just work in a linear fashion in a, what we would call Western educational mindset. He works with real life situations and that's seasonal and cyclical. Okay. And then finally, oh, did we not get that one? Something's wrong with the, oh, okay, nice. And then, and then the last week or this week, I guess, yeah, this week, I'm all messed up now. This week, we're going to talk about how being a disciple and making disciples is spiritual. Spiritual. And, and this, this seems like obvious on its face in a sense, um, but I want you to pay close attention to some of the scriptures we're reading today because I think, I think we have to understand that this is not mental it's not mental exercises and it's not emotional encounters that make a disciple. Even though those can be good things. There's something else going on and we want to make sure that we're tapping into that. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. He says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. <laughs> My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I don't know if you've ever felt just scared. You've ever felt like, I don't know if I can do what God wants me to do. You are not alone. You are in good company. Just about every major Bible character throughout the, throughout the scriptures wrestled with this, including the author of two-thirds of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul himself. He, was, he struggled with it, but he resolved that there was something else going on here. And it wasn't about his human wisdom, or it wasn't about his expertise, it was about God's spirit and his power. If you drop down to verse 9 in that same chapter, he gets to this kind of the, the, the heart of the idea. He says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, 
the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. And then he says, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. As I said, becoming a disciple of Jesus is not a mental exercise, nor an emotional experience. We're not making disciples of ourselves. Like, when you, if you decide, okay, I'm gonna get, Pastor Ross, he's really, he's really convincing me. I really gotta make sure that I'm gonna help somebody else follow Jesus. And so you start to become a disciple maker. You ain't making disciple of yourself. Like, that would be bad. Like, making somebody, like a little mini me of you? No. No, that's not good. You know why that's not good. But what we are doing is we're trying to help people understand who Jesus is. And when we, when we, when we live like Jesus, that helps somebody that we're, that we're um, pulling along with us. It helps them see what we're all trying to be like. You see, you have to understand that disciple making has been sort of relegated to the experts for about 30 years, 40 years, 50 years in American culture. And really, humanity goes through these cycles where super spiritual people are the people that do it. No, listen, we're all called to be disciples. We're all called to follow Jesus closely, and we're all called to follow Jesus closely by helping someone else follow Jesus closely. We've been using this, uh, this definition of disciple. I don't have it on the screen, but I think maybe we could remember it. A disciple, we're using the technical definition as a lifelong learner, follower and friend of Jesus who helps others become a lifelong learner, follower, and friend of Jesus. Oh, you're getting it. It makes me so happy. Here's the thing. The process of becoming a disciple, the Holy Spirit is the one who molds and shapes and fashions us into the image of Jesus. That's something you and I can't do. But as we collaborate together, the Holy Spirit starts to work in a way that he doesn't on an individual level. Look at how Jesus said, Paul, or John records it in John 14, 26. He describes the Holy Spirit this way. He says, but the helper, everybody say the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. How many things? Oh, how could such a little word mean so much? 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Have you ever forgotten what Jesus said? I have. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Peace I leave with you, he says. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You don't have to be afraid here. Jesus tells the disciples the Holy Spirit's called the helper. The Holy Spirit's the one who speaks, who coaches, who coaxes, and who leads us as disciples of Jesus. The ESV, the English Standard Version, uses the word helper, but other translations are comforter, counselor, uh, advocate. These come from the root word, it's a, a, the root word is parakletos, which means called to one's aid or to come alongside. Not only do you, have to, do you not have to live this Christian life by yourself, God has given you his Holy Spirit to come alongside you and help you in every circumstance, in every situation. But also, we're called to be living alongside someone else. And the Holy Spirit shows us how to do this. We can teach the scriptures. Teaching the scriptures is good. Amen? That was great. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> Teaching the scriptures is awesome. Okay, not much better. But the Holy Spirit opens, the Holy Spirit is the one who opens our minds. He's the one that opens our minds to learn, to understand, to remember everything Jesus has said. And if this is true, we need to stop living life between our ears. This is an American problem. This is an American Christian problem. We, we have all the information we could ever want. Hold it, we're holding it right in our, our hands. Most of you are holding it right now. And you're surfing the internet while I'm talking. You can get any answer you want. You can get any amount of information that you need. And it's in the palm of your hand. So we start to think in these terms like, I just have to figure this out. And I have tools, to, we have greater tools to figure things out than we've ever had before. It has always been a human propensity, always been a human thing to try to figure things out on our own. That's been the case since the very first humans, Adam and Eve, deciding to eat of the tree that God told them not to eat of. And they said, nope, I'm gonna do this on my own. I'm gonna try to be godly on my own. I want to be like God in this way, I want to know what good and evil is. God had said, hey, that's the most dangerous thing you can get into, is deciding what's good and what's evil. And that's really, we live in a culture that has settled. They're the arbiters of what's good and evil. God said, don't touch that. That's dangerous. What he wanted you, them to do is eat from the tree of life. Eat from the tree of life. Eat from any of the trees that God made because his world is so good. So you have to understand, we have wrongly understood becoming a disciple as a mental process instead of spiritual when we've gravitated to emotional experiences, even spiritual experiences, 
in, in, in single encounters as a way of becoming a disciple. It doesn't work that way. There's a Holy Spirit process that, that forms you, that forms me on a daily basis. He leads us and guides us in life and he connects us to what God is trying to do in us and we have to welcome his work in our lives. If you're insecure about making disciples, if you've been listening to me for all these weeks and just you're not convinced that you could ever do it, this is good news for you today. You're in good company because the Apostle Paul was, had fear and trembling. He knew his words were, ah, not sure it was quite right, but he wasn't going to be committed to human wisdom. He was committed to the Spirit's power. And he trusted in the Spirit's power. The whole Holy Spirit is the one who is close enough to your situation to give you the right advice, to make the right judgment call. He's your advocate, your counselor, your comforter, your helper. Now listen, I really want you to get this. This is the primary reason that you and I can be disciple makers. Because it's not you doing all the work. Yeah, but Pastor Ross, it is a lot of work. Yes, it is. It is being committed to somebody in a really powerful, like relational way. It means you're going to be inconvenienced. It means you're going to have to do things you don't want to do. It means you're going to have to say things maybe you didn't want to say. It means you're going to have to hear things you didn't want to hear. But here's the good news. You have to believe if you're going to make disciples, if you're going to be a disciple, you have to believe that the Holy Spirit is working. And he is working. Even when you don't see it. I like to say that the Holy Spirit is working and lurking. He's working and where he's not really having too much impact, he's lurking, ready to work at the moment that people need him or look to him or call out to him. It's the work of the spirit that transforms a person's life. That's what 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18 says. This is the apostle Paul again. He says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or one translation says, reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed, everybody say transformed. Transformed. Into his image with ever increasing glory. I love this verse because what it means is wherever you're at, it's okay. Wherever you start from, it's okay. Because at the beginning, there's just a little tiny bit of glory. But then there's like ever increasing glory. Ever-increasing work, ever-increasing work of the Spirit, ever-increasing influence of God's Spirit, ever-increasing dynamics of Him working in your life. And if you believe that, you can keep going because that all comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, Paul says. This is it. You and I are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Look what the Apostle Paul says just a few verses down from here. He says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. I love this. What we preach is not ourselves. No, what you need to do is this. Well, no, what works for me is this. It's not that that's not, it's not that you can't share with others what works for you. I think you should. But you've got to keep the focus in the right place. And Paul is saying it right here. He's saying, for we preach, what we preach is not ourselves, 
but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants. Being a disciple maker is choosing to be a servant above all else, to serve other people's needs. Verse six says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But, it's always a but. Check this out. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Why does God do this? Why does God put all my flaws on display? Why does he make me get to know somebody enough where they can see that I'm messed up too? Why does he do this? Why does he make that, why is this the way that it happens? He puts the treasure of the Holy Spirit inside a person within this flawed, inadequate, struggling jar of clay. That's what he does. Why does he do it that way? So that everybody will believe this power is from God and not from Ross. I know Ross, he ain't that good. I know Jenny, she's not... That's like something, something, something else is going on there. <laughs> that was amazing. God spoke to me because Jenny wouldn't know anything about that. Do you, do you see what happens? And this can happen everywhere. This can happen in a restaurant. You get an impression from the Holy Spirit about what's going on in the life of the server and you take the risk. Ask them a probing question. See if they open up. And then you share what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. You don't have to be weird about it. Thus saith the Lord, I want to tell you. No. That's not, that's not it. It's, a, it's more like, you know, I just have this sense that what God is saying to you is, you're gonna be okay. You've been, it's been a really hard season, but he's with you, even if you don't know it. I just want you to know he's with you. Do you have any, do you have any context for God or, or Jesus? No. Well, let me tell you, Jesus sees you, knows you, and uh, I just want you to know that. And we're going to pray for you today. Would it be okay if I pray for you? Very rarely will anybody say, no, I don't need your prayers. They'll almost always say, yeah, cool. Even if they're embarrassed, they'll be like, sure. But it's going to take some Belief, it's gonna take some space, it's gonna take some focus to kind of get to where you and I need to be in terms of the Holy Spirit leading us through this. Now, when we look at all the disciples, these guys were all guys that would nobody would ever think that these are the guys that are gonna change the world, right? We're talking about fishermen. We're talking about just a couple of sets of knucklehead brothers who knew, who, who knew, knew some other friends, and Jesus pulled them all together. He even pulled together a, a, a tax collector, which everybody hated. There was some zealots who thought that uh, the government needed to be overthrown. There was, there was all kinds of people in this group of disciples, but nobody would have guessed that these are the guys that are going to turn the world upside down. You see, 
God does it all the time. Jesus knew these guys would need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And indeed, they don't really do anything amazing. They get to dabble in what Jesus did. But, but so, something different happens once they settle how the Holy Spirit works. To activate our faith and become disciple makers, we have to understand the Holy Spirit is always moving, always working, and always lurking. Look at how Jesus describes the work of the Spirit to his own disciples in John 16. Verse eight, he says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I want you to see the three things, three things. Here's how the Holy Spirit helps me make disciples. Because this is, this is his role, right? This is his role. This is your role. This is his role. Holy Spirit does this inside of you, and he does it inside of anybody that you're walking with to help them follow Jesus better. All right? How the Holy Spirit helps me make disciples. Number one, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin to reveal our need for Jesus. Amen. You know, that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing all over the planet right now. It's happening. Hey. You know, for the last several weeks, I've been talking to you about the challenges of the American church, but I don't want you to get too discouraged. God is moving around the world. There's, there's 173 nations where the gospel is going forward at a pace faster than population growth. Think of that, 173 nations. And then there's about 12, um, 12 that are in um, uh, maybe what we'd call stasis. They're just sitting there. It's not, it's not going to, they're not doing better. They're not making ground. They're, they're not losing too much ground. And, and America would be in that category. And then there's five where it's, it's, the gospel is not moving forward. And I'll share those with you in, in coming weeks, the, what those countries are. But listen, God is moving around the world. <laughs> the gospel is on fire in all kinds of places, like India and the Middle East. Like even in China, where, where the underground church is thriving and has been for many years. Like, you, you gotta understand, God is moving. He's just looking for people who will participate with him. But he's convicting people of sins. These can, in other words, he's helping them see the futility of living life on their own terms. He's helping people believe that Jesus is the one. He's convicting us of our self-sufficiency and our belief in ourselves. And he says it's an unbelief in Jesus that is the problem. It's like, I believe in myself, but I don't have a lot of belief in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is convicting people. He's convicting us and helping us to see that, that we need Jesus more than anything else. 
Unbelief is the primary sin that makes us stumble. Even as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is the one who warns me and convicts my conscience. Now listen, the Holy Spirit never condemns you. He never pushes you down. He never pushes you away. He's always drawing you near. Even when he convicts you, even as he helps you see how, fall, how much you're falling short, how much you're relying on yourself, or how much you, your unbelief in Jesus is hanging out there. He's always pulling you up. He's gently convicting you and, and helping you from wandering into your own self-control and self-belief, thinking you can do it on your own. When I begin to doubt that Jesus can take away my sins, when I simply stop believing in what he said and fixating on my circumstances and how hard they are, this is when the Holy Spirit comes to me and convicts me. He convicts me of my need for Jesus. The second big way the Holy Spirit helps me make disciples in this passage is the Holy Spirit convinces us that we are righteous because of Jesus. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, he says, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. The Holy Spirit helps all believers everywhere understand that they are in right standing with God only through Jesus, not by any works of yourself, not like anything that you've done. Well, I'm a really good disciple maker. (laughs) That's why God really loves me, because I make disciples. You're wandering into weird territory. If, if, if that's your way that you think that you're in right relationship with God, right? He wants a relationship with everybody and then he wants out of the overflow of that relationship for you to share it with others. That's the way it's supposed to work. Are you guys still with me? There's nothing you can do to be righteous. Only Jesus makes us righteous and the role of the Holy Spirit in my life is to convince me of the all sufficiency of Christ. Jesus is the point. Jesus is at the center. Now, sometimes we need convincing because Satan himself comes as the accuser. And he'll point at you and he'll point out all the stuff in your life and he'll point out your flaws. He's trying to convince us that Jesus is not enough, that we're so messed up that not even Jesus can fix us. By the way, the devil, really, he only has one trick. You're no good. You're not going to make it. You're not good enough. (laughs) This isn't going to change. That's it. That's all he's got over and over again. He just keeps saying that to you. But the Holy Spirit convinces you that you have righteousness that is not from yourself. It is not anything you've done, but God's grace has filled your life and you can be clean and free of your wounded yesterdays and you can be full of the life of God because you are in right standing with Jesus, with God himself. Like you, this is what the Holy Spirit does. So when you're feeling bad about yourself and your performance for Jesus, let the Holy Spirit come and begin to convince you that Jesus is enough. That God's love is enough demonstrated in Christ coming into this world and taking our sins upon himself. This is the kind of confidence that the Holy Spirit begins to give us. And finally, the third big way the Holy Spirit helps us, he helps me make disciples, is the Holy Spirit connects us to the authority of Christ, for Satan is defeated. Verse 11 says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. 
The ruler of this world is judged. This is something to get excited about. Ephesians 2.2 says, we followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Listen, here's what Jesus is saying. Satan is sentenced. His, his sentence has already been given out. He's already been conquered. It's now sealed. The enemy's power is now limited in this world because of what Christ has done. Christ has overcome death and hell and the grave himself. What did Jesus say on the cross? He said, it is finished. It's already settled. It's already settled. The problem is you got to get in the seat with Jesus you, you, did, you, did you know that the Bible says in Ephesians, Paul says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? But you know what Paul says a few verses earlier? He says, you are seated in Christ. Which means you are where? Seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Most of you need a revelation of that. Which is what the Holy Spirit does. He, try, he gives you a revelation of who you are in Christ. And so, so many times the problem, especially for American Christians, is Jesus' authority has been given to you and me, but for what? For getting stuff for ourselves? For, like, making our lives better? Like, in the American dream kind of way? Exciting worship experiences? Finding, like, our own personal freedom? Yes, and so much. Jesus says in verse 12, he says, I still have so many things to say to you, but you can't take it right now. If I said it, it would blow your mind. Hey, hey, just think about this for a second. Think about Jesus saying that to you right now. I have so much to share with you. But if I said it all right now, it would blow your brains. You just... Some of that's for your own good. Some of that's to protect you. But listen, what, he, what Jesus did is he sent us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to be with us. This is what it is. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You may not know everything about how to help others follow Jesus. You may not, you may not be practiced, right? at helping other people follow Jesus. But you don't have to be. Because you have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Paul says you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's, in the, all the New Testament, we could have like 10 sermons on the Holy Spirit. There's so many. Hey, we did a Holy Spirit series just a few, week, few months ago. You can go back and check that out. You need more encouragement on the Holy Spirit? Yes, go check that out. I think there's like 10 sermons. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about disciple making that's so powerful. You have to make room for the Holy Spirit. So this week in your groups, when you go have your group, one of the reasons you don't have a lot of content is because we're removing all the curriculum mindset and making room for the Holy Spirit. Because listen, when people get together and read the scripture, talk about it, and then pray for each other. The Holy Spirit starts doing 
work. Work that you can't do. He goes deeper into people's lives. But you gotta make room for him. You gotta come to the meeting with some faith. Come to the meeting with some openness. That's why asking questions is the most powerful thing you can do to help somebody follow Jesus better. It's not telling them what to do. The Holy Spirit's got that down. (laughs) You know, Jesus, he always was asking questions. He was always asking questions to see if people would become vulnerable to him. You can't force anybody. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do three things this week in your small group because what we're doing is, in your small groups, we're making room for the Holy Spirit. So I want you to start practicing this phrase. When you begin with prayer or something, you know, when you start to talk about the scriptures, just say, come, Holy Spirit. Let's try it right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just say it one more time. Come, Holy Spirit. Ha, one more time. Come, Holy Spirit. He only needed you to say it once, but you needed it three times. See, because we're not convinced. But he's right here. He's right here, working and lurking. You're going to remember that this week. Be the only thing you remember from this message, but it'll be awesome because it'll give you faith. Number two, I just want you to, I, 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 already, I already said number two, so I'll just give it to you. We're, we're making room for the Holy Spirit by not having too much information as the primary driver. We're reading the scriptures and then we're asking questions. Reading the scriptures and we're talking about it. Trying to let the Holy Spirit speak to us about what that scripture says. And then number three, we're making room by, for the Holy Spirit by listening. <laughs> listening. Say it. Listening. You're listening to him and to others. You're listening to others. I like this. Five little word phrases. Ready? Tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Somebody says something, it's not quite enough. Like, hey, tell me more about that. I want you to use that phrase over and over again in your small groups. Because the Holy Spirit's behind that little phrase. Hey, tell me more about that. Letting that vulnerability out. These are the practices I want you to do in in your small group. I want you to find a small group. If you haven't found a small group, I got people in here who have red shirts on that say, how can I help? And I just want them to stand up. Red shirts, here we go. Only two in the room right now. Some of you, so here we go. Oh, here's Shana, okay, there's, she's got a red shirt on. This is Joanna, this is Rob. We've got, I think, a few more wandering around. Listen, we don't want anybody to not be in a group. If you are trying to figure out, I think there's a, there's a table in the hallway, right? Is that right? Am I right for small groups? There is not. Oh, sorry, five-minute party. Five-minute party. Five-minute party outside, okay? We want everybody to be in a small group. We want everybody to be connected by the Spirit because there is power in the way God works with each other when we share what God is doing in our lives. And the Holy Spirit is working and lurking. Would you just open up your hands toward heaven like this? Maybe just put them on your lap. And I'm just gonna ask 
for the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to you. Prayer team's gonna come and as soon as we dismiss, I'm, 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 you're welcome to come. But I just want you to, like, just for a moment, I'm just gonna pray over you for a minute. And I don't want you to have to produce or perform anything. I just want you to open up your heart. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you of some unbelief. Your unbelief is too big. It's taking up too much real estate in your head. Your doubt, your fear. The Holy Spirit's just saying, hey, why don't you let me have that? Let me have that. I'll take it. He's lovingly and gently asking you to give it to him. Just do that right now. Just give it to him, whatever it is. Maybe you're here and you, you just feel like you live under a cloud of condemnation somehow. Maybe you're, you, you're not convinced that Jesus is enough for you to be righteous. Would you just let the Holy Spirit come in right now and just say, Jesus is enough. Jesus has done everything. He is the one who holds everything together. He's the only one who could take your sin and carry it. You can't carry it. But you can be right with God because of Jesus. You can be right with God and not be burdened by all your past, all your woundedness, all your, the struggle we all kind of carry until Jesus comes and lifts it, takes it. Would you just let the Holy Spirit lead you into giving all that to Jesus? Jesus is saying, I did it all. I gave my life. Would you let me in to take care of all this stuff? All these things that cause guilt all these things that cause damage in your life, Jesus wants to take it from you. Would you let him? Let the Holy Spirit lead you into that right now. Some of you are here and you're kind of just limping along as a Christian. You're not walking in the authority that Christ gave you. You're not allowing him each day to help you see who you are. Would you just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the authority? The enemy is defeated and so you can stand and you can make it you do not have to be defeated because Satan already has been 
I'd like you to just stand up all over the room. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. The Holy Spirit is working, he's speaking, and I want you just to receive it. With arms open, hands open to God, I just wanna pray over you now. Father, would you just work in each of these lives? Would you remind them that you're near? Would you remind them that you already are at work? Would you remind them of what Jesus has done? Would you convince them of his all-sufficiency? Would you help them this week to live out in the authority that you've given them in Christ, that they are and can be seated in Jesus? They have authority. I pray that you would take every sin and every pain and every fear and you would help them to know that you can carry that. Every, every person here, that they would be convicted of their unbelief and they would enter into life with you, Jesus. That you're enough. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray.